Hi everyone, my name is Maria, or Maria Alejandra Marinojos, but Maria is way easier. <laughs> Maria Alejandra Marinojos. <laughs> um, so my story starts in 1993. I was born in Medellin, Colombia, and that city is famous for Pablo Escobar, the cartel drug dealer. He got shot the same year that I was born, not far from my grandma's house. Can we have the next slide, please? Uh, growing up in a dangerous neighborhood, caution was second nature. I stuck to my street like glue. Strangely enough, I was never afraid. Looking back, now I understand divine protection was at hand. My parents didn't have much. And while my dad struggled to provide for us, my extended family made sure we never went hungry. Next one, please. My mom and the whole family uh, sorry, my mom, a woman of faith, transitioned to Christianity. My dad and the whole family are Roman Catholic, and they didn't approve. As a child, I attended my mom's prayer meetings, and I was very intrigued by all the strange sounds that were sounding like whispers, and now I realized they were praying in tongues. My dad said that my mom was getting brainwashed and forbade me from going to church with her. But the twist, he didn't take me to Sunday Mass either. So Sundays were not my favorite day of the week. Next one, please. My parents' marriage was very shaky and that separated many times. At 13, they finally got divorced. Yet the chaos was far from gone. That's presence was reduced to awkward doorstep visits where we exchanged brief hellos like strangers. This left me with a big hole in my heart. Is that what a father is supposed to be like? Next one, please. Years rolled by and my mom remarried a Christian guy from New Zealand. Our move to New Zealand in 2008 marked a fresh start for us. Once we were settled in our new home, uh, we decided to go to church as a family. Um, but for me, I was still dealing with the battle of, is my mom right? Is my dad right? Catholic, Christian, who's right? And I didn't speak any English, so I couldn't understand what the pastor was saying. <laughs> um, eventually, after a few years... I was able to feel comfortable attending church without the guilt and pressure from my Catholic family members. And learning English also helped me. In my late teens, I responded to an altar call and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I also got baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. I was on fire for God until I met a boy. 
And you guys know the whole story. A good Christian girl meets an unbeliever guy and she thinks she can change him. It never happens. <laughs> so long story short, after three years in a relationship with this guy, we finished uni together, we graduated together, and then he decided to move overseas for six months. But he never came back. So after that, I found myself in a flu, full-blown crisis. But it wasn't all just about a boy. For three whole years, I let my guard down and I invited the wrong people and sin into my heart. I was dealing with the consequences of neglecting to protect my heart and nurture my body. Next one, please. Back at uni, I spent all my time with my boyfriend and getting good grades at uni and hanging out with him was all I care about. So I let my boyfriend influence who I was and I lost sight of who I really was. I was still attending church, but I fell far away from God and I was full of guilt in my heart. My health wasn't a priority either. All those late night snacks and questionable eating choices at uni gave me stomach ulcers, helicobacter pylori, and gastritis. I couldn't sleep laying down. I could hardly eat anything. And let's not forget the mountain of pills that I was taking per day, 20 at least. Lonely, sick, jobless, and with my heart full of grudges, the voices in my head told me that I was a failure. Desperate, I cried out to God, and he answered. The voices of despair were nothing but lies. I remember my true identity. I'm the daughter of the king. God whispered, reminded me. I was his child, and my identity was in him. Slowly, he restored my health. I was able to sleep and eat again. Next slide. And months later, God reminded me of my potential and my talents with the opportunity to go to a design exhibition in Milan, Italy, to show my design work. Next for me. Over the next few months, God continued to heal my heart and my mind. In the meantime, I planned to go to the US. Next one, please. I had a grand plan go there and kickstart my design career, but God had different plans. <laughs> Spoiler alert my dream design job never happened. My Californian adventure. More like a roller coaster with a rocky start. <laughs> finding a safe place to live proved difficult, and finding a design job was even harder. Most companies didn't want to employ me on my visa, so for three months I was looking for jobs and nothing happened, so I decided to just get a retail job and wait on God. Next one, please. In the meantime, I started attended, attending Saddleback Church, a mega church 
let me tell you, is big. People there need golf carts to drive around the campus. That's how big it is. <laughs> With more people attending the weekly services than a music festival, I thought I would get lost in the crowd. Despite being one fish in an ocean of many, God had me covered. I ended up doing a graphic design internship at the main Lake Forest campus. Next one, please. There, I didn't just dip my toes. I was also volunteering with the singles ministry and the visual arts ministry. Uh, seminars, classes, you name it. I was on it all. Next one. In the meantime, oh, sorry. Um, and did I mention that I bumped into Pastor Rick Warren? We were besties, for sure. <laughs> there, they saw my potential, and I bloomed. God turned up the heat in my heart. He boosted my confidence and threw a lifeline of hope my way. I was basically a bonfire for God, glowing, blazing, and totally on fire. A year passed and my visa ran out. I was in denial. I didn't want to leave paradise. I ended up traveling elsewhere because I didn't want to come home to New Zealand. I wasn't happy with God. Why show me this amazing life and not allow me to stay? But God, again, he knew better. I arrived in New Zealand in late February 2020. And as you guys remember, the whole country went into lockdown a couple of weeks later. What I thought was God denying my dream to stay in the U.S., it was him protecting me and taking me to a safe place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. After the first lockdown, I got my first industrial design job at last. And this year I started a new position here in uh, Mount Manganui running a design office. Um, the mount is not Southern California, but it's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> In closing, my story is about God's constant goodness and his faithfulness. God has shown me his mercy and has been very patient with me. God has been with me always, watching over little Maria in the streets of Colombia, opening doors for international adventures, mending my broken heart and my body, and opening the right doors and providing everything I need. Thank you. <laughs> so now I invite Gabe to come up and share his story. <laughs> this is the story about how I lost my shoes. 
Okay, guys, um, I never thought I'd be asked to speak in a church, and I've got four relatively dense pages here, so I'm going to try and get through it quickly. It is a privilege and an honour to stand before you all this evening. I think I'm the feather ruffler that Alan was talking about. I've been asked to share some part of my story. It doesn't seem like such an intense narrative from where I stand, but I guess I've been living it for certainly the last couple of years. seems like it's intensified. Uh, I'm the youngest of five boys. I was raised in a Christian household by two wonderful parents who many of you know, who loved God and each other and their family, and they continue to do so. I was taught all the right things. I was raised in the right circles. I spent 13 years at Bethlehem College getting a Christian education. I attended church every Sunday with my parents. I sung the songs. I watched VeggieTales on VHS <laughs> and attended Parachute Music Festival every year. I had the perfect environment. I was raised in the way a child should go, but I ultimately departed from it for at least a time. You see, too many of my questions went unanswered, and I began my teenage years during the rise of so-called new atheism, an ironically religious international cultural movement headed by the likes of Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Bill Mayer, and others. Here, I found the kind of intellectually stimulating discussions that I felt were missing in the church, and I was enchanted by the idea that I was smarter than God, more moral, a better person than God, who for at least a short period of time, I was convinced, did not exist. (laughs) I adopted and built on these ideas. I spent hours indoctrinating myself in a cult-like hatred for even the concept of God. At my school, I became well-known as an outspoken atheist. I berated and ridiculed the Christian kids in my class. I openly mocked speakers from organizations like Thinking Matters during their Q&A sessions when they came to present seminars. I formed an identity around not just being atheistic, but anti-theistic, anti-Christian. For those who attend or have attended BC, you may have heard one or two stories. I was the kid that came to Mufti Day dressed as a certain questionable German historical figure. (laughs) This is for you, Ellen. I love to ruffle feathers and cause upset. In my last year of school, I started a decade-long habit of smoking cannabis. Started taking other drugs too, like LSD. In the coming years, I became a fully-fledged addict and party animal. I tried it all, being at different times addicted to just about every class of substance that you could imagine. Hallucinogens and party drugs like MDMA, pharmaceutical-grade opiates, my regular and soon daily use of cannabis, and if that wasn't enough, by the time I was 21, I had become a regular user of methamphetamine. In all this, there was a constant background suffering which I repressed with my so-called higher knowledge, my holier-than-God thinking. By the time I'd been an avowed atheist for a few years, it became apparent to me that the order of the universe was by no means an accident, And nothing except some sort of divine creator could explain the world that we occupy. So I intellectualized that too. It's a simulation, or it's a hologram. It's some sort of construct. I got so very close to the conclusion of God, but I was never never willing to adopt any set of beliefs that would impose or imply any sort of moral code. I was enjoying my own moral code. Have a good time while it lasts. I'm aware now that while God is always doing something new, the devil is always up to the same old tricks he's been selling for thousands of years. It's sexual immorality, drugs and drink. It's pornography and debauchery. For those in the younger demographic specifically, I encourage you that none of these things are worth buying into. You can trust me on this one. I've done the research myself. (laughs) And I came up empty-handed and broken-hearted and a shadow of the man God intended me to be. By the time I was 24, two and a half years of my life had disappeared into a glass crack pipe. I spent every spare moment, every last dollar on my worsening meth addiction. I sold valued possessions of mine for a fleeting high. I spent my time in dingy trap houses with gangsters, prostitutes, and addicts. I never felt like I was at home. 
and I always knew I wasn't meant to be in that place with those people, but this was the slow suicide that I had chosen. I had given myself over to the demon of addiction, and I was driven around tormented for almost three years. The highs were not worth the lows. I ended up suicidal, poor, constantly sick, and about 20 kgs lighter than I am today. You could have counted my ribs through my shirt. I was gaunt, and I was exhausted. I barely held down jobs more than a few months at a time, but I felt good because I was still sleeping about eight hours a week. My relationships were based entirely around shared addictions and codependent misery. I was manic depressive. I was ecstatic one moment, usually about an hour and a half after I'd received my paycheck and blown it on drugs. And I was absolutely miserable and intolerably angry and volatile the next. I found out much later that around this time, during a regular prayer meeting at which my name apparently came up quite a bit, some friends of my parents had given them the word that I was going to leave the country and find God in my own way, um, which neither of them believed at all. One week later, a family friend offered me a surprise opportunity. He had visited New Zealand about a few months prior, um, and we'd gone along quite well. So after he returned, he hit me up via Instagram and offered me a golden ticket, a flight to the Netherlands, and a place to stay. Immediately, my spirit leapt up and accepted his offer. I had known for a long time that I had to get away out of the hell that I was creating for myself. So this was the, this was the fulfillment of this prophecy my parents had been given. I turned up a week later. I'm leaving the country, and they both hit the floor. The night before I left the country, I stayed up all night smoking meth with my mates. I got as high as a kite, which is to say I was blowing in the wind, getting pulled around on a string, as I had done for many years up to that point. I got on the plane, and I was already well above cruising altitude. Something I now recognize as the Holy Spirit simply said to me that that was the last time. And guess what? That was the last time. It's been over four years and two months since that day, and I've never looked back on my decision to leave that phase of my life behind. It was not the case that I got off meth. Meth got off me. That demented red-eyed monkey got pulled off my back by the hand of God, and I didn't even realize it for years to come. I've had, or I had had, a terrible relationship with my father for about 10 years at that point. We never saw eye to eye, but the last thing I told him before I left the country was, one day, you and I are going to talk like friends. I figured he would change while I was gone. <laughs> I had no idea how much I would be changing in the coming years. I'd only been in the Netherlands a short while before COVID hit, derailing many of my plans in Europe. It may surprise you uh, to find out that I've never been a huge fan of the authorities. The imposition of lockdowns and mandates was something I was absolutely opposed to from my very core. I had few friends in this new land, and as a substitute, I started listening to about six hours a day of podcasts in English to substitute, um, like I say, for lacking positive friends. I had landed in the Netherlands a hardcore left-wing socialist of the highest order, and I found myself increasingly attracted to conservative and even Christian arguments and ideas. The idea of vaccines being made mandatory for participation in society was the kind of hard line I'd been warned about by my father in my childhood. Suddenly, in hindsight, my old man was starting to look like a bit of a legend. He'd predicted these sorts of things years in advance with the help of a little book that we all know and love. So at the beginning of 2020, I made a New Year's resolution to do something I'd never done before in my life. I was going to spend a year taking my dad's advice. I'd begun to see how he'd always been looking out for me, and that even though he wasn't perfect, he'd done the best he could. Dad and I started talking again, more and more regularly. I didn't tell him about my resolution, that would have ruined the magic. The first suggestion he made one day over the phone was, Gabe, you really ought to stop smoking cigarettes. Well, dang, I had to quit smoking cigarettes. A couple weeks later, it was, you should eat fish once a week. It's really good for you. Well, I'd never been a big fan of seafood, but here was the advice I committed to take. I started eating fish once a week. 
Then, only a few months into the year, came the big one. I'd mentioned to my dad that I'd been enjoying listening to Christian podcasts and preachers. I'd actually sent him a couple, which was a big surprise for him. One day, over the phone, came the ultimate challenge to a tenured atheist. Gabe, you really ought to read the New Testament. (laughs) Boom. There it was. I bought myself a King James Bible, and I began to read the New Testament. I immediately recognized that my idea of Jesus had been wrong in a way that I think many of us as Christians today sometimes still get it wrong. We focus on the lamb, we forget about the lion. I returned from the Netherlands and carried on many of my old ways. I still smoked weed every day. I was still sleeping around. I was still stuck in many ways, but something had changed in my core and it was coming to the surface. I found myself in a very new age crowd. Parties and festivals, drugs and sex with strangers. I'd escaped from the worst of it, but I was not yet free. It was at one of these festivals only six months ago that things finally broke down for me. I was not in the mood to be there, and I'd been slowly realizing just how futile this 21st century hippie nonsense had become. I sat down among a group of people and closed my eyes. I listened to their conversations for 10 minutes. I won't go into detail here, but I'd never heard such empty, meaningless discourse in my entire life. I'd never been more surrounded by people, and I'd never felt more lonely. I simply had to leave. I couldn't even be around it anymore. A month later, things just started falling into place. Late last year, I'd finally accepted, openly to my dad, the possibility that Jesus may have actually been who he said he was. I don't know exactly what happened, but suddenly it all made sense. The universe was created. There is an intelligent force behind creation, a moral force. The world is a battle between good and evil. There is only one way to make sense of all these things. Like so many of my generation, I've been looking for answers to these obvious conclusions that would allow me to keep doing things my way, but I couldn't do it anymore. The futility of my lifestyle had caught up with me. I'd spent 10 years in a cloud of smoke. When I prayed... I was released, and suddenly giving up the daily drug abuse, the empty sexual relationships, my anger, and my pride, it was no longer within my control. It just happened. Something just clicked, and one day in late March, I realized I'd essentially been fooling myself for a decade. Some of you were here when I got um, baptized in early April. Fun fact, I had been having the worst record-breaking night sweats of my life for about two months leading up to that night, and that night it stopped, which was pretty interesting. I came home. My prodigal years were over. I lost a lot of friends, and leaving old habits was not a smooth ride, but it's been well worth it. That's basically it, guys. That's the summary of events. Often when I speak out on the culture these days, I hear people shoot me back with, yeah, but you wouldn't have gotten where you are today if you hadn't made those mistakes. Mmm, thoughtful stuff. Yes, I might have actually gotten a lot further, or I might have avoided reaching the depths of depravity and despair that I hit. If I had walked across the road one day without looking and been hit by a car and grievously injured, do you think I'd start warning my friends to look both ways before crossing the street? Or would I just let them find out the hard way, like me? We live in a culture that, people, that tells people to just do what you want, as though that was some sort of high-order moral statement. Not exactly profound stuff. Basement-level thinking, as far as I'm concerned. For the younger ones of us, the popular culture is a wasteland. There is no truth and no good, just whatever you want, man. This used to be me, and now I'm living proof that even those furthest from Christ can be reached. I want to wrap this up, but I want to present a challenge too. Ask my parents, and they'll tell you that I've been doing this for 28 years. (laughs) We sometimes paint Jesus as a timid character. We like the idea of Jesus sometimes as a pushover because it makes it easier to emulate him. But I believe that if we want to be like Jesus, we may just have to flip some tables at some point. We know the Bible is the inerrant word of God and that it serves as the narrative background sorry, backbone to our culture. Well, I have an observation or two about this Jesus guy. Jesus was a carpenter, raised by a carpenter, in a time when you would have started your trade education at about 10 to 12 years old. 
Jesus' ministry begins when he is 30. This means that for at least 15, perhaps 20 years, Jesus built carts, tables, chairs, houses, farm equipment, and all manner of other things with his hands, and none of it is mentioned in the Bible. But Jesus does make one thing with his hands in the Bible. Says Jesus fashions a whip, and he drives money changers out from the temple. He sees that the cornerstone of the political and cultural landscape has been corrupted, and he makes it his responsibility. Let us not forget that this was a man who was put to death for what he had to say. If we want to truly emulate Christ, we need to be prepared to lose our lives standing up for what we know is right. I don't want to scare anyone, but I often wonder if the day is coming when this is a decision that we may actually have to make. I want to finish on an encouraging note. We can reach this generation. We can do something about the hopelessness that's out there if we arm ourselves correctly, if we are prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. We all need the love of God, that warm and wonderful feeling we get in our quiet moments of prayer and study or during worship. But we also need to be prepared to answer hard questions about the nature of the universe, to give logical reason, and to do so graciously. Our intellect was also designed by the Creator to respond to His truth. The whole world is full of counterfeit gospels, just enough of the truth to lure God's children away from him and into hedonism, nihilism, atheism, mysticism, or any other half-pie alternative to the one truth. Let us remember that Jesus was a real man and a living God. The Bible is historically accurate. The fingerprints of God are present throughout the cosmos. It might be enough for us individually to have that inner connection with the voice of God, but for many out there in the world, the pursuit of answers to these questions is an intellectual pursuit. I returned to the faith by cascading logical conclusions. I thoroughly explored the alternatives, and I can tell you for sure that what we have here are the answers to the world's problems and pain. We just need to have confidence in our convictions, answers for the askers, and Christ's love in all of our hearts. Thank you all. Shannon. Hey, can we give it up for these two amazing stories? That was awesome. All right. I thought I would start off with one of my favorite verses that has been something that has led me in my life. Um, Isaiah 55, which says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So is my word that goes out from my mouth, and it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So my whole life, um, God has shown me that it's actually really important, the lenses that we look through. God's perspective is not my perspective, and I need to keep updating my lenses to see the way that he sees. For 23 years, I lived in Wellington with my mother my older brother, my older sister, and my younger sister. At the age of three, we found out that my father had cancer, and six weeks later, he passed away, choosing not to go through the chemotherapy because he didn't want to put us through financial debt or some other reasons too. I never understood why he had to die, but this unanswered question of why was the thing that foundationally became my belief system throughout my life. Why would God take a good man away? A husband, a father, my father. Why would a good God allow this to happen and leave me without a father to love? I ended up believing that my father had abandoned me and he chose to do that. 
Every thought and interaction in my life from then on became through the filtered lens of rejection. At primary school, um, I was bullied by pretty much everyone in the class. I even had one of the girls saying that she only invited me to her party because her dad forced her to. Even at home, I was the goody two-shoes of the family. My siblings spent most of the time reminding me how different I was from them and regularly saying that I must have been adopted. Which sounded like a joke at the time, but those words really rooted deep in me. And so what would any broken girl do with that rejection? Being Feeling like I was abandoned by my father, my family, classmates, and a feeling that I was especially abandoned by God. I had to guard myself from everyone and everything. I turned on everyone because it was better to hurt others instead of being hurt myself. I became a bully and I would try to throw the first punch before someone would do that to me. I hurt people and I also ended up hurting myself. I became suicidal and I got to a point where I just couldn't I just couldn't think that my life was worth anything. In my younger years, I was also exposed to pornography. And the enemy, after starting, the enemy told me that I would be, even be rejected by the church because it was such a shameful and sinful thing. So I left. I not only kept everyone else at a distance, but God was the thing I had to keep most because I couldn't have him reject me. He was the only thing that stayed stable in my life. My mom kept me going to church even when I didn't want to until I became violent and would hit and throw and punch so I wouldn't have to go. During college, I hurt others to make myself seem like I was bigger. I wasn't academically strong at all, so I decided to act dumb and accepted that people would call me dumb and that was okay because I chose to make myself act it. Through my last year of college, my life completely changed. I encountered God at a youth and young adult camp And this was the beginning of my journey back to him. All this time, I thought that I was the one being rejected by everyone. But I was the one rejecting God. I was determined to grow with God. And I decided to step out and speak up to the world about Jesus and what he had done. But I had lost all the friends that I had had. I thought, God... He's on my side now, means all my dreams of Broadway and everything like that was going to come to pass. But he didn't want me going that way. But I saw that as a slight thing of rejection again. I thought, okay, when I was accepted to go and do an internship with the Rise down in Wellington, I was like, yes, great. I can go into worship because that's where my heart was desiring And they put me in administration and management. It was honestly my worst nightmare. And I cried pretty much every single week. I was like, God, what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to be my father. You're supposed to be the one who is supporting me. But he was. 
At the end of the year, though, they said, hey, we just don't think this is the best fit. And I said, well, I could have told you at that the beginning of the year. Administration was not my strength. I actually found out that I had dyslexia. And this is why everything didn't make sense. I couldn't read the Bible because I just couldn't understand it. it everything would just get jumbled. And God decided to put me in kids ministry for two years. And I learned what it was like from a kid's perspective to struggle and see through new eyes. They were hurting, they were damaged, and they were crying out to tell some, to, for someone to tell them who they are. These innocent kids, I thought they just needed Jesus because he was the answer. I didn't want them going down the same path that I went down. And I was like, sure, this is exactly what I need to do. Kids ministry, this is amazing. This is exactly where I need to go. And I was sure that they were going to employ me. There were three of us who didn't get employed and everyone else did. And I was like, God, please don't reject me. And then he ended up calling me up to Tauranga. And I was like, what the heck? I thought this was like Pairoa, like a drive through town. And I was like, why are you moving me from this awesome city to this drive through town? Okay, I've been corrected now. It's not a drive through town. It's much bigger than that. And then I came up and I was like, great. No, this is a new start. This will be amazing. I can reinvent myself. This will be awesome. No one knows who I am. But the same cycle went through again because what I hadn't dealt with was the issue of rejection. God then gave me a revelation of Jesus. He hang on that cross. He spent his life building relationships and teaching and training. And he was rejected by his friends, his followers, and even those who looked so close to him. But he still died on the cross for them. But he did that, and his eyes were fixed on his father, not on the circumstances. Jesus had a deep intimacy with his father, and I knew that I had to learn what God's love was. I had to understand that God never fails. God rescues, you, rescues us. He makes us whole. He never leaves nor forsakes us. His plans are never to harm us, but the plans carry hope for the future. God's desire is for us to make the choice to live in relationship with him. I had become so focused on being rejected. And that's everything that I saw everywhere. When I began to put my eyes on him and press into my relationship with him, I became free. I was free of addictions I was free of negative thought patterns, my insecurities, and now I have been had the amazing opportunity to speak into the life and empower children so that they will not have to go through those mindsets. You might have been rejected by others or feel that you're trapped in cycles of thinking or addictions, but you are not your circumstances. You are not rejected by God. God has plans for you. And it might not be what you expect, but his plans are perfect. His plan, first and foremost, is to bring you closer in intimacy with him. Trust that like a 55-inch flat-screen TV, God's picture is bigger, and he sees the full screen. 
the two million pixels he is seeing, and we're only seeing one single pixel. So church tonight, you've heard three stories. And I know that there are many stories out there that carry a lot of weight. But you don't have to carry that weight. We have an amazing God who saved us, who loves us, who protects us. And so tonight, if there was anything that touched your heart or pulled on some ham- some, some heartstrings, or oh, no hamstrings, sorry, wrong, wrong strings, you know, <laughs> got to protect the hamstrings, but no, your heartstrings. If there's anything that tonight that you're like, actually, I would really like prayer. I'm stuck. I'm trapped in cycles of addiction. I... I'm just, I just don't know what to do. Or you're just like, I just really want to meet God deeper in a more intimate way and truly know who He is. I would want, I want everyone just to stand up. And I want to invite you. We have an incredible prayer team and, and we, um, we're really open to pray for you and with you. So if you come right now, if you're wanting a deeper intimacy with Father God, Jesus, or Holy Spirit, come up closer to the front. If anything that we spoke about is something that you're like, I really, really just need freedom in this. Come on up too. Don't step back. This could be the moment where you could walk into freedom. It wouldn't be anything. I wouldn't be anywhere if I didn't come and got set free of the addiction that I was struggling with when I had people come and support me so we're going to worship and while we do that I just invite you to come forward